0: Uh, now, two, two things that we're not supposed to talk about, right, in public circles is uh, religion and politics. Now, as a pastor, it's like my job to step on people's toes and make people feel uncomfortable anyway, uh, and so I get paid more for that. Uh, so if, if you notice, the, the presidential race is kind of unprecedented this time around. It's, uh, it's not funny. I mean, it's it's kind of like a dumpster fire. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a train wreck, kind of in slow motion watching this thing happen. Uh, it's kind of fascinating. It smells terrible, uh, but you're just like, eh, I guess I'll watch that. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh, and, and the whole thing, it just, it's a little bit rough watching it on the news. Uh, we're all kind of wondering, is this really what our founding fathers really wanted for our nation and the democracy that they started, what they had in mind? You know, I've lived in a democracy my entire life. I don't know about you guys, but that's Uh, Most of you have probably been that way. You've lived in the democracy of the United States of America all of your life. Um, um, But I, I don't know about you, but I've always been inherently interested in monarchies. I don't know why. I think it's kind of wired into me, so to speak. And, and specifically for me, uh, the British crown has always been... Inter- now, I'm, a, I'm a, as American as you get, but I've always been slightly interested in the British monarchy. I don't know why uh, the tabloids in the supermarket, they kind of grab my eye, what's happening with Wills and Kate. You know, I just, I'm just kind of interested. Uh, and, and mainly because I really, I mean, I'm actually kind of interested in Prince William. I mean, he's kind of an interesting guy. And I think we, because we have a lot in common... We actually were born within a month of each other back in 1982. We're both the same exact age. Uh, we both have uh, more interesting uh, b- little brothers. Uh, you know, my, my brother, you guys have never, never met him, but he is a whole lot better looking and more interesting than me. Uh, and, uh, and then we both uh, married beautiful brunette women who were both born in January of 1982, interestingly enough. Uh, he's a billionaire. I'm not. Um, LAUGHTER Uh, but I've always just kind of been interested in tracking uh, with him uh, on uh, just kind of through life because we're pretty much the same age Uh, and so within me lies this fascination for a king and a kingdom and I don't believe that I'm alone in this I mean I, I really love the fact that that I think that we've been wired in this way we've been wired in by our creator to be fascinated and interested with this, idea, with this idea of king and kingdom. I think we're drawn towards a king, just inside of us. We're drawn towards uh, being a part of some type of kingdom. And even though we live in a democracy now, and I'm not saying that I want to give that up. I certainly don't want a king, especially not one that's upper president now. But uh, I, I certainly don't want a king. Um, but ultimately, I think we're living in a, we're living in a time where we're going that direction. We're moving towards, as at least believers and within a church, that we are moving towards being a part of a kingdom with a king. And more specifically, the king and in the kingdom. And this is a kingdom uh, that, you know, so if we are going to be about a kingdom, looking forward to a kingdom, we're going to be about kingdom business. We're going to have kingdom conversation. Uh, We're going to have kingdom goals. And so therefore, this is all about kingdom living. How are we as a church going to be a part of kind of kingdom living? So the question for us today that I want us to uh, look into the scripture, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one is the sixth book of the Bible. Uh, so if we go to the beginning, you'll get there kind of quickly. Joshua chapter one, if you don't have a Bible, I really want you to have a copy of God's word. We have those at our connect table. We'd love to give you a copy of God's word for free if you've never had one. Uh, I met someone the other day that was 20 years old and they've never owned their own Bible. And so I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Most of you have it on your phone, on your smartphone. You can have uh, the Bible app or the Uversion app. and my notes and stuff are in there under the events section. Would love for you to follow along in that way. But Joshua, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 today. Um, but, uh, so we're going we're to look, look at this question. What is it like to be a part of a kingdom? What is it like to be, for us to be... Kingdom citizens, not just American citizens in democracy. What would it be like? Because none of us have really experienced this. What is it like to be a Kingdom citizen? Is that different in any kind of way? Is it make our does it make our life a little bit different? Does it cause us to act differently, be differently? What is it? What are the conversations that we have? Where do our loyalties lie if we're a part of a certain kingdom? And as I talk about this, I want you to understand this. So everybody, look up here. Look at me right here. So. I want you to understand a very important concept as I talk about this, okay? Because when I talk about the kingdom, we believe as Christians that the kingdom of God is two things. It's already, and it's not yet. Here's what I mean by that. It means that the kingdom of God already has come amongst us. Meaning that Jesus, the king, has already come, and he has already revealed himself, He has revealed what his plan is for the entire world, and we are simply living within that kingdom. He is sovereign over all things. And there's, it's not mysterious. The gospel has been completely revealed to us, not like the Old Testament that we're about to read, like Josh was in the Old Testament. A lot of things about God were kind of mysterious. And, and so they were kind of wondering what God was going to do in the future. They had some prophets that would tell them some things. But for us, living on the other side of Jesus, we actually have everything revealed to us. So we're already kind of living in his kingdom. So the kingdom is already. However, we're not walking on streets of gold. There's still sin in the world that we're dealing with. Uh, there's still evil. There's still problems. And, you know, the lion isn't laying down with the lamb, okay? I mean, there's, there's, there's still a not yet part of the kingdom that hasn't happened yet that we're waiting for. Now, I'm going to kind of bob and weave through both. The, when I talk about the kingdom, I'm going to kind of talk about it as, yes, it already is the way that we are now. But yet there are still some things that happen. So I need you to follow along with me as I kind of, I'll I'll speak sometimes about the kingdom already, sometimes about it, not yet. I need you to weave with me a little bit, kind of like middle school dance style. I just need you to follow along, you know, you know, put my hand up on your hip and when I dip, you dip, we dip. Okay. So, um, I need you to follow along. You guys, some of you don't get that and that's okay. Um, some of you are deeply offended by that, um, I don't even know where I am. Okay, here we go. So for believers in the room, if you've given your life to Jesus and you have a relationship with God that's very clear that you're saved, uh, this is going to be a, a good thing for you to kind of just walk in and figure out, okay, what, is the, what does the kingdom citizen look like? A lot of it's going to be familiar for you. If you're not a believer, if you've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and is in his gospel and the good news that he has for you, this is a perfect time to lean into this conversation because this is a chance for you to figure out, okay, I get to peer in what it looks like in a Christian's world, okay? And this is what I'm expecting. This is what they're calling me to do. So, believers, check along with me. Unbelievers, you guys lean right in. It's going to be good, okay? So, if you're in Joshua chapter 1, say, I'm there. Okay, let's do it again. You guys ready? Joshua chapter 1, you guys there? Say, I'm there. Awesome, okay. All right, before you get there. (laughs) Okay, so Joshua chapter 1, before we get there, let me share with you just a little bit of context so it all makes sense, okay? So, you have this guy, his name is Abraham, and Abraham was promised by God that The entire world would be blessed through his family. They would later be called the Israelites. Okay, The Israelites, Israel was the name of one of his sons. It was Jacob whose name changed to Israel. It's a little bit complicated. But through a long series of unfortunate events, they end up in the nation of Egypt, and they actually end up to be slaves for 400 years. That's longer than America has been in existence. Okay, So it's a long time. Many, many generations came along, and they just became slaves in the nation of Egypt. Finally, God redeemed them out by uh, a guy named Moses leading them out, uh, calling upon Pharaoh to let them go. He finally did. That kind of caused some trouble and some controversy. Finally, God redeemed them out of Israel. They crossed through the Red Sea miraculously on dry ground, and then God vanquished all of their enemies of Egypt, and they were on the other side. Now this, uh, you would think that they would be very happy about this. Joel told us last week that they weren't terribly happy for very long. It was only a few days, and they begin to complain about being saved and redeemed out of Egypt. Uh, and it's because they didn't think that they had any food. So they, they didn't trust in God for their own substance. And so God said, hey, I'm going to provide for you bread. Eventually, I'm going to provide for you birds. Yet, yet they still complained about everything. And, and if you read through the Old Testament story, you'll see that they constantly have this battle of they're going to complain about the things that God is given to them. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a little bit troublesome. So they go through this pattern, what we'll see today. We'll go through this pattern of distrust, God will dis- uh, discipline them, and then they'll trust again, love God, things will go well for a little while until they forget about it uh, once again. So right now, they are. Uh, and, and we missed a part of the story. If you're reading along with us in the whole story, you, you learned this week that uh, the, uh, Moses sent out 12 spies into the promised land. That's where they were supposed to go into the promised land or the land of their home or their forefathers. That's where they were supposed to go. 12 spies went in. They saw all of the people. Some of them were giants, some of them were very well fortified cities, and so they got a little scared. Ten of them came back and said, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't go into the promised land. We're all going to die. It's not a good idea. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Two of them, Joshua, who this, this book is named after, and Caleb come back and said, nope, we need to trust God. It's going to be hard, but God's got this. He's giving us the land so that we should go ahead and go. The people said, you know what? I think we're, should, we should go back to Egypt. And so God punishes them for 40 years, and says, you know what, you're just going to wander around aimlessly. I'm not going to send you back into slavery, but you are going to wander around in the desert for the next 40 years while all the people who, did, who didn't believe in me are going to die right here in the desert. Every, all of your children and the people who did believe in me are going to enter into the promised land. God even doesn't even allow Moses to go into the promised land because of a series of unfortunate events, and so he gives that mantle over to Joshua, and Joshua in cha- Joshua chapter 1 is now ready to lead the people uh, into the promised land. Okay, so here we go. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. for then you will make your 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 way prosperous and then you will have good success have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the lord your god is with you uh, wherever you go so the question for us is how do we fit into this story what does it really even matter why should we think about this kind of kingdom living ultimately we're in search of this kingdom so, what is it like to be a kingdom people? What we see in this specific uh, what we see in this specific passage is that in order to be giving uh, to to be kingdom people, we have to understand that kingdom people are people who receive. You'll see this theme over and over again throughout the entire scripture that God continues to be a giver. Kingdom people receive. In that verse 2, it says, it, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to the Jordan, all, you and all my people into the land that I am giving to them. I'm simply just going to give it. Remember the spies who went into Israel? They're like, no, we we can't really, we can't, we can't take this land. It's too much. I'm not sure this isn't a good idea. And he says, Don't worry about it. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Kingdom people are a people that receive. Now, if we don't understand this process, we can get into a couple different modes that the people of Israel uh, struggled with. There's really three different places for them to be. One, they can decide to go back into slavery. At this moment, it's pretty cataclysmic. They can decide, hey, we're just going to head back. We're going back to Egypt and back into slavery. Or we can decide to wander around for a bit more. We've already been doing it for 40 years We might as well just kind of keep doing it. Or we can decide to be kingdom people. And we can trust the Lord and move forward. Those are our three choices. Slavery, wandering, or kingdom. So here's what this looks like. The first one is slavery. And this is kind of comfortable miserableness. Miserableness. This is where they can go back to be li- to live under the reign of sin once again, to have powerful rulers rule over them. The only thing good about being in slavery is that it's a routine, and you know what's going to happen every single day. That you're going to be ruled over your entire life. There's nothing risky about slavery. It didn't cause them to get out of their comfort zone. Every day was the same. They kept on making bricks. They kept on moving things around. Every day was the same. They didn't have freedom. And sure, in this, they were probably frustrated. They were probably angry. They were probably anxious and exhausted. And most likely because they were a slave ashamed. And so this is us. Some of you in this room are still in this place of slavery. Slavery. You're a slave to your sin. And for whatever reason, you enjoy that life of comfortable miserableness. Now, some of you in this room have been redeemed out of that slavery. You once knew a life where things really struggled. Things were not good. It was a rough life for you. And it was sinful and anxious and shameful. And the things that you did, you were never proud of, and you wouldn't want to repeat them in this room for sure in front of a lot of people. But for whatever reason, sometimes we believe that it's better to go back to that sin. Like some kind of abused girlfriend that says, you know what, he really wasn't that bad and he didn't hit me that hard. And so we decide at times, when we decide to go back to our sin instead of repent of it and move forward and trust God, we're basically saying, I want to go back to my slavery. I want to put my shackles back on because I was kind of comfortable in my miserableness. Not a good idea. Your second option is to wander. Is to wander, and this this might not be a place of sin for you, right? And and you know, in the desert, when they were you know wandering around the desert, it's not like they. Of course, they struggled with a little bit of sin, but it's not like they were returning to their slavery, right? So there there might be some of us in this room, and I I put myself in in the us category because sometimes I do this, where I am a believer. I've been saved and redeemed out of slavery. But I'm not doing anything with my faith. I am uncomfortably busy. That we get in our lives, we do all these things. We we get involved in things that really don't matter that much. They're they're not with any type of purpose, and so we just kind of wander around in redeemed purposelessness. And everything we do is kind of uninteresting. Uh, we're busy but our life doesn't matter much. I mean, this is the Israelites. I mean, they were busy, yet bored. They were moving around, but not going anywhere. They had a destination, but they couldn't get off at the exit. Uh, That was their life for 40 years. And they just wandered around. So the question for you to consider, Christian, is, yes, I've been redeemed, but I'm not doing anything with my faith. How long are you going to wander in the wilderness like that? Where you're not doing anything with it. It's a good question. Now, now what we could do, on the other hand, is to live for the kingdom, right? That we can be kingdom-minded, like Joshua, like Caleb, like their families, to be purposely obedient. They're not wandering around. They're not comfortably, like a slave, comfortably, comfortably miserable. They're not uncomfortably busy, like a wanderer. But they're purposefully obedient. They knew the word. They trusted this, this word where they say, I'm going to be strong and courageous. Yes, the people of the land. It is harder to be a Christian to not, than, than to be in slavery in our world. Yes, it's definitely harder. And sometimes it can become uncomfortable. But we understand that God is bigger and, and God is, is, is much grander than any part of, any part of sin. He, they have, there's, maybe there's some large armies in front of you. There were certainly some large armies in front of them. And yes, your past might be shameful, but God has redeemed you. The future is a little bit unknown and mysterious. You're not sure what God is calling you to do, but you're going to step forth in some trust. I choose to grow in my relationship with God. I choose to give of my time, talent, and treasure. I choose to go personally, locally, globally. That's what we talk about as a disciple. These are people who are kingdom living. So how do I step out in that? This is the essence of the gospel. We get to receive. A kingdom-minded person understands that the gospel is simply receiving. That we understand that it's not about what we do, but it's just the very fact that we understand that we are loved by God and not because of, not because of our, see what I'm saying? The Israelites didn't do anything to be redeemed out of Israel. God just did it because he loved them. They didn't deserve it. In fact, many of them were, were actually worshiping other gods at the time. That's why he had to come along with the commandments. And the first one is don't worship other gods. They were. That's why he told them that. And so he just says, you know what, I'm going to redeem you because I love you. God doesn't redeem you because because you did a lot of stuff to make him love you more. He loves you in all of your jacked up life. And he wants to redeem you out of slavery. Now the question for obedience comes a little bit after that. It comes with the next point. Because kingdom people receive and they receive salvation, which is cool. And then secondly, kingdom people rest. Kingdom people rest. The people rest. These next couple verses, it says this in Joshua 10. I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, meaning the river that separates them from the promised land, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of what does it say? Rest. And will give you this land. We'll give it to you. And what's it for? It's for rest. Now, here's the deal. Imagine, here's Joshua. He's just been told, be strong and courageous. This is going to be a big fight. It's going to be a big deal. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to get prepared. We're going to set provisions. And the reason why we're going in there is to take a nap. They're going in there, and he says, the reason why God has gifted us this land is so that we can rest. And so it it says it all over the books of the law that the promised land equaled rest. So this is a place to rest your head. This is a place where you can feel at home. So two weeks ago, I went on beach vacation. It was really good. Thank you for that opportunity. Uh, and uh, my family and I, we took off, and it was really cool. We spent a whole week uh, down there um, close to Beaufort on the beach. It was really cool. We had this cool kind of beach house, and uh, it was fun. Now, I took, I took some naps, which was good. Slept in every single day. It was great. But I'll tell you what, at the end of it, I was exhausted. Uh, Number one reason is because we have a one-year-old at the beach, and all he wants to do is eat sand. Um, But the, the other reason was because it wasn't my bed. It wasn't where I felt the most comfortable to rest. The best night of my vacation was when I went home and I slept in my own bed. That was the most restful time. And so these people are in the same place. It's you need to go home. You're from place, Your home place, that's where you're going to rest. And God says, if you are obedient to me, if you obey the law that I have given to you, very specific through the, through the entire front part of the Bible, here is the law, this is what I expect of you, this is how you are, I've, I've saved you, not because you deserve it, I'm calling you out of slavery, and now I'm calling you to obedience, right? And so, if you obey, things will go well for you and you will be rested. And there's generations of Israelites that say, okay, we get it, God. And they begin to obey God and things go well for them. They receive the land. Everything is going pretty well. Within two generations, we'll see in the book of Judges, they begin to forget about it. And God allows discipline. He allows other nations to come and oppress them and put them back into slavery. It's, it's rough. rough. And this pattern continues throughout the Old Testament, where the people of God would be good with God, trusting God, loving God, and He and He blesses them, and then they forget about Him. Like, you know what? I'm gonna think we're gonna worship other gods. And things begin to fall apart, and their rest goes away. And there's this continued battle, and they can't find it again. After this point, they really can't find it again. They want to rest, they want to have peace. The Bible calls it shalom. They want to have peace within their home place, but they just can't find it. And so they think, hey, you know, maybe we'll get, if we get like a, an earthly king instead of, you know, we, yes, we have, a, we have the king, but really, if we want to be like the other nations, we've got to have a king. So we're going to appoint our own king without, without God even saying speaking into it. So we get Saul. Things don't go so well for Saul, and there's no rest. They get David, things are good for a little while, but they begin to disobey God again, no rest. They get Solomon, no rest. They get prophets, not so much. It's just no rest, no rest, no rest. No peace, no shalom, until this guy from Nazareth shows up in Matthew. And he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus speaks specifically. He says, I know what you need. We need rest. Kingdom people are people of rest, meaning that we trust. Does that mean that we sleep all day long? Not really. It just, it just means that we are people who trust God, that we're not anxious for anything, that we trust him with our lives. Third thing. Oh, let me tell you this. This is kind of fun. You'll know. Gary, uh, Pastor Gary got up here and he kind of told you about a, a few announcements that were going on. You'll see in the next couple of weeks that those will kind of dwindle off a little bit. And, you know, we're we're launching Compass Church. But besides that, uh, we won't have announcements for you over these next couple weeks, because here's the deal. In the month of June, we're taking a Sabbath rest as a church. We don't have things for you to come to. We don't have our missional communities take a break after this next week, and that's purposeful. The reason why we do that is because we want you to be with your families. We want you to take the extra time that you might gain from church activity to spend time in the Word. Have some time of rest. Our missional communities work hard all year long, with the exception of June. And we want to take just a month of Sabbath just to say, hey, be with your families. Take times in the evenings to just be together. Go on vacation. Take a nap. All of those things. We want it Because we'll start ramping up again in July for all the things that God's going to do through our church. But for the month of June, I'm really looking forward to the fact that we as a church will Sabbath. And it's very possible that next week you'll come into this place and the guy who's doing the announcements, whoever that's going to be, is going to say, hey, I don't have any announcements for you. It's glorious. And then we'll ramp back up. But now in June, we're going to go through a season of rest. And it's going to be good. We're going to live out these kingdom principles that we teach. All right, number three. Number three. Kingdom people rescue. So you like the three R's? I alliterated that for you guys. Right? Okay. Okay receive, rest, rescue. All right. Receive, rest, rescue. So kingdom people, rescue. So God promised back in the book of Genesis chapter 12, he promised Abraham that Abraham was going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Every nation is going to be blessed through you and your family. He created the nation of Israel. And and so we see God tracking along with the nation of Israel. And he is to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. All right. Now, eventually, we know, being on this side of Jesus, that that came true through a, through a Jewish man named Jesus, who then brought peace to the rest of the world. We know that, but the people of Israel at that time didn't know that. So they're kind of wondering, how are we supposed to be a blessing to all the nations? So here's what happens. Joshua decides again to send two spies. He got a little smart, not 12. He sent two spies back into the land. And he sent him to Jericho to spy it out, to kind of figure it out. This is the first big fortified city. And he says, go into the city and kind of do some some intel, some recon, okay? I need to know how many people are there. How is it fortified? How does it all work? And so these two guys go into Jericho. Now, the only place that they find sanctuary is in the home of a prostitute, right? And so I'm sure their wives are like, after 40 years and the only home you got is a prostitute? Really? Um, So... So that's where they find sanctuary, in the home of Rahab, the prostitute. And Rahab knows who they are. He knows what they're planning to do. And she protects them. And it gets, the word gets around town that there are these two Israelite spies within the city. And these guys begin to come looking for them. And Rahab hides them in her roof, literally. And the reason why she does this is because she believes in the God of Israel. Even though she's not an Israelite, she protects them. It says this, this is what Rahab says in Joshua chapter 2, 8 through 11. He said, Before the men laid down, meaning they laid down in the uh, thatch of the roof, He came up to, uh, to them on the, uh, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And she's telling them, she's giving them some confidence, right? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who, uh, who are beyond the Jordan, to, to Sihon and Og, uh, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, excuse me, um, sorry, i uh, for, the, for the Lord, your God, he is, he is God in the heavens above, uh, above and on the earth below. She basically exclaims and she says, I believe in God. Your God is my God. I believe in Yahweh, who's, who's the name of God in the Old Testament. I believe in him. And all of, uh, all of the people of my family as do as well. And I want to be with you. And she then says, hey, I'm protecting you. Will your God protect me? Because she knows that it's coming. She knows the Israelites are about to come and take over the city because it's their land. And she says, will you protect me? And the spies say, absolutely. We are going to make sure that you're protected. We're going to make sure. And sure enough, that's what happens. The Israelites come. Uh, if they come. It's a big story about the walls of Jericho and God providing them everything they needed. They didn't even have to really lift a figure. And they come in and the walls of Jericho fall down and they come and they take the city. And Rahab's family is saved. So what we see, this is, this is just one of many families that were like this, but what we see immediately, as soon as they go into their, into their promised land, God is already fulfilling the promises of Abraham. I'm going to be a blessing to all nations, not just one. And so we are a people who are kingdom-minded, who are on a rescue mission, the reason, folks, that you guys serve in your missional communities, if you're wondering why you do that, is so that we can bring the kingdom to the people who don't know about it right here in Cane Bay. We want the kingdom to be on display as, your, as you as a missionary. Every time you serve a teacher, serve, uh, serve someone at Eagle Harbor, that you serve a military family, that you serve with DSS, every time that you do that, you're bringing the kingdom down into Cane Bay so, so that you can declare who Jesus is and declare who the king is. It's not purposeless serving. It's bringing the kingdom of God, something that we will be a part of for all of eternity. It's bringing it here in the already. Even though it's something that is off into the future and we believe that it's not yet, we bring the kingdom here as we go on a rescue mission. And so as we teach and proclaim the gospel we teach and proclaim to people who are prostitutes in the land, literally people who are far away from God, who have sin in their life, who are under, this, uh, under the, 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 the shackles of slavery. And we say, hey, our God is on a rescue mission for you. He loves you and he desires to bless you. That's our job. That's our function. So let's be kingdom citizens in this. So if you're a citizen of the kingdom, if you're, if you're at work and obedience, you'll notice that there's a theme here. There's a theme of obedience here. Now, remember, we receive, we receive freely from Jesus. There's nothing that we do to, to get God's love. He already loves us and already uh, wants to redeem it, uh, re- redeem us. All we have to do is receive. Now, there's this theme of obedience, that rest, right? Rest and rescue come from obedience. So we see that theme. You know, as I was studying this week, I um, <laughs> Spent some time studying the monarchy, right? So I I studied about Wills and Kate, and uh, that was fun. Uh, And so uh, one of the little tidbits of information about Kate uh, is that she decided in her marriage vows that she would take out the phrase about obeying the king. So she actually removed that from the marriage vows. When I read that, you know, I've been tracking along with Wills for a little while now, um, so I was kind of offended. I was like, you're not going to obey the king. He's the future king. You're not going to obey. That means you're going to disobey the king. That's treason. I was a little bit offended. Um, But in reality, when we sin, isn't that treason against the king? When, When we decide to be enslaved to things that are not close to his heart, isn't that treason against the king? If we're our citizens of a kingdom and we decide to disobey, isn't that treason? And so let's be citizens that enjoy obedience. Now, you might, you might think to yourself, I'm not really into this obedience thing. You might be like Kate and be like, hey, I'm a modern woman or I'm a modern man. I don't obey anything. I'm free to do whatever I want. But I, and I get that because people don't like to be obedient to people that they don't, that they don't think care for them, that people you know, have bad intentions for their life. And I get that. I get that that might be a little hard. But imagine, if you will, if, if this person, this creator, has everything for your good, is perfectly wise, knows the future, perfectly sovereign, that he knows you in and out, he knows what's best for you, he knows what, what your future is. Wouldn't that be awesome to be obedient to the one who knows you best? I don't, I don't find that to be very hard, personally. And so we do see this theme of obedience, and that will equal rest, it equals our missional, missionary call to be uh, rescuers for the kingdom. So let's be kingdom people, okay? Let's receive, let's rest, let's rescue. So if you're a kingdom-minded person, let's keep pressing into this, guys. Even through the summer when we take this kind of Sabbath time, let's press into it a good bit. It's going to be good, all right? If you're wandering in your faith, if you're in that place where you're just like, I've been redeemed, I had a place in my life where I've come to the salvation of Christ, where I know that he died for me, that he he saved me from my sins, but it's been a long time before I've grown in my faith. It's been a long time since I've given of anything about myself. I've been kind of selfish, and it's certainly been a long time before I've done anything to to be a part of this rescue mission. If that's you, maybe it's time for you to just take a time of prayer when we sing together in a minute and just say, God, I need to repent of this. I'm just wandering around, not doing anything. I'm, I've been redeemed, but I'm purposeless. It's time for us as a church, and I think that this is pretty much the, the state of the American church, where we're just wandering around like on a hamster wheel. We're not really doing anything. And so let's press into that. Let's decide to be kingdom people. Let's cross the Jordan. Let's go. Now, if you're in slavery, if you've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and know the know for a very fact that he has saved you, that he's taken away your sin and your shame, that you've simply received him and you've prayed and said, God, I just want to receive you into my life and I want to walk with you. I want to be a kingdom citizen. I want to, I want to, be, I want to be a child of a king. And you want to leave slavery, that's a good day to do that. It's a good day to do that too. So let's, And you can just pray that, pray to God, tell him that you want to do that and then I simply want to talk to you about that, about that relationship, Okay. So let's be kingdom people, not wanderers, and certainly not slaves. Let's pray together. God, you're good in every way. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you for giving us a good time in the scripture this morning. Um, Father, I, I think there's, there's some things that we, we need to think through um, this morning as we kind of dive into this particular story in the Old Testament. God, you've gifted us with now your word. We've read it. Hopefully we've understood it. And now, God, I ask that we would apply it. um, Specifically for the one who um, really needs forgiveness. um, Who might be walking in slavery. God, I I certainly ask, Father, that that you would save the one who's in slavery. And God, for the one who's saved, that maybe at some point in their life had an opportunity to, to be redeemed. But it's been a while since they've done anything with their faith. God, I pray that they would just step into your scripture this week. I pray that they, would, um, that they would be convicted to walk with you this week. That they would repent of their purposelessness. And that they would, start to, they would start to give of themselves to go for your kingdom. And God, thank you for those who are living as kingdom-minded individuals. And Father, I pray that today is just simply an encouragement for them. Jesus, we love you. Uh, Thank you for a good time in the word this morning. Amen.